Welcome to Between the Gutters Podcast, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. This is Drew. How's it going, everybody? Hello, hello. So, welcome to another episode of Between the Gutters. Uh, today, we're going to continue... Uh, we're going to continue the ongoing series where we go over uh, our read-through of the image series Invincible by Robert Kirkman and uh, Ryan Otley. Is that correct? Yep. Robert Kirkman is writer, Ryan Otley, penciler and inker, mm-hmm. Bill Crabtree, colorist, Russ Wooten, letterer. So right, right. In our, uh, I think back in episode 62 it was when we covered the first three volumes of Invincible, uh, we're going to, I think that's when we covered it. And, and now uh, we're covering volumes four and five, which yep. comprise issues 14 to 24. So yep. this is basically the second year of the, of the series. Of the series. Yep. yep. Yeah. And we're just going to do, you know, we're just going to, Every month, we're going to pick one year out of the series or the next following year and just progress over the course of the entire series and, you know, uh, break it down, review it, and... Uh, just have fun talking our, about it. Exactly. Have fun and make our observations, you know, such and such. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a really fun superhero comic. It's it's one, To me, it's one of the best superhero comics of the... Not just of the past 20 years but probably like ever like if you like superhero comics you kind of owe it to yourself to read invincible especially if you enjoy uh modern comics if you're one of those like 60 or 70 year old dudes that only reads like silver (laughs) age or bronze age comics (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can't force anybody to read everything but if you if you do enjoy your superheroes, Invincible, is definitely one that you got to check out. Um, and the other thing that kind of motivated us to dive into the series is because that because Amazon is doing that animated cartoon uh, series that's supposed to start next month, I believe. Yep. So this is a good jumping on point. You can get in on the ground level. You can... Uh... If you want, you can get a hold of the comic, which we highly recommend that you do, and uh, get some exposure to it before the animated show comes out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, It's all available on Comixology, or hit up your local comic book store, show them some support during these times. Or heck, if you're strapped for cash, you know what? It's all available at the library. Uh, The digital library has it too, so... um, I, I would say, like, although it, the comics as an industry, you know, we want them to get your money because uh, we want them to keep making good stuff. Uh, as long as you're reading it, that's the important thing. And if you find some way to support them at some point, great. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Throw your shekels. Because <laughs> I know uh, through the San Francisco Public Library, you can get the whole series through Hoopla. Yeah. Does that mean that... Uh, Every library system across the country can access it on Hoopla, or is it just because of where we live? I don't. I'm not really sure how Hoopla works. I'm pretty sure it's just where we live because I want to say that when I went to, I forget which country I went to, but I tried accessing like the public library. Yeah. 
uh, well, this wasn't Hoopla, so it might be different. So I tried accessing uh, the public library, and I, I think because it's like server-based and location-based, uh, they knew that I wasn't in the area, and as a result, uh, I, I, I couldn't get access to it. But I think this is one of those things where if you have a VPN, then mm -hmm. you should be able to get access to it. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, Good to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, if you get a chance to, you know, if you want to get a taste of it, for, for free, uh, you can check it out on Hoopla at the San Francisco Public Library. That's how I've been reading it. Um, and and again, if if you feel like you have enough uh, love and affection for the series when you're done reading it, by all means, support it. Yep. Good so, stuff. So when we last left off, um, we did the first year of Invincible. And essentially... Uh, all the plot points, and and this is a spoiler for those of you who haven't read it yet, but uh, the, the major plot points uh, by the end of that first year was that uh, Invincible is the son of Omni-Man, and uh, Omni-Man is one of the most powerful superheroes on their planet, and his powers have just kicked in, and he and Mark Grayson, who is Invincible, decides to follow, follow in his father's footsteps to become... A superhero as well and by the time that we get to the end of the first year it's revealed to him that everything that he's known about his father spoilers everyone is is a lie and um essentially the 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 father that he knew who he believed to be the protector of the planet was actually sent from an alien planet to be like an overseer to prepare the planet for an invasion by their species mm -hmm. and and the 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 story for for that first year ends with omni-man mark grayson's dad invincible's dad just beating the crap out of him you know and you know it's like star wars he, he has one of those <laughs> moments where he's like you know where he tries to turn him to the dark side and invincible growing up on earth of course, he doesn't want to enslave humanity. He he believes in truth and justice and the American way and all this good stuff, right? Yeah. So he says, I'm going to, you know, he tells his dad, I'm going to resist you. And his dad shows him what happens when he resists his daddy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you talk back to daddy, you get the hand. <laughs> Man, I'm so excited for you to become a father, Albert. I am I'm excited for me, and I am, and I feel dread for my future children. <laughs> it's exhilarating, Drew. <laughs> I'm super pumped for that, man. I'm super pumped. How many children can I beat? <laughs> <laughs> Not enough. Not enough, apparently. <laughs> yeah. These are all jokes, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone's These gonna are all listen jokes. to this and report you. You're gonna wake up the next tomorrow and some uh, police officers are gonna investigate you. Exactly. Child services is gonna be at my door. They're just yeah. gonna be telling me, Hey, we've uh heard 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 through the grapevine that you're beating up children. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
the other big thing at the end of that uh, first year was not only the fact that Omni-Man beat the crap out of his son, but right before he was about to lay the killing blow, land the killing blow, he, he basically asked his son, you know, af- after how after the fight, uh, his son's all messed up, he, Omni-Man asks him or tells him, look around you, you know, all the, all the people you know, they're lives are so finite and they're they're almost like animals where they're gonna die much earlier than you will so what's the point of standing up for them what's the point of trying to preserve or protect them who are you gonna have at the end of all this and mark he just looks at his dad and and he's all broken and bleeding and stuff and he just looks at him and says you dad i'll still have you and for some reason uh that causes Omni-Man not to kill his own son, and he just flies off into outer space with tears in his own eyes. And uh, we learn that uh, in the subsequent issue that apparently he left uh, the government's uh, outer space satellite sensors, so apparently he's just so far away from them that uh, they don't know where Omni-Man is or where he went. Uh, it, It takes several weeks for Mark to recover from his wounds, and the world is now aware that Omni-Man is a conqueror or a would-be conqueror. Yeah. Instead of a hero. And not only... So, yeah, the world knows that, and obviously uh, Mark's mother learns it as well. And in this series of issues uh, that we're talking about today, we will see the ramifications of all of that and how... uh, Mark and his mother deal with the emotional aftermath as well as uh, all the different various plots that uh, they're about to embark on. Exactly. It's it's very much a series that in this second year, it, it it's, it's an entire new year of change. You know, everything that was established in that first year, like we're, we're seeing changes in a whole bunch of different uh areas of invincible slash mark grayson's life so it's uh yeah like when we finish so uh in full you know transparency to everybody listening this is actually the first time so the the issues that we read in the last podcast were was were was the entirety entirety of the issues that i actually read so i've never in in the past so i so everything after the issue 12 of uh uh everything after issue 12 is basically new to me so this is essentially my first read through for 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 this particular story um and yeah it just feels like it's after the the end of issue 12 it just it really felt like man what's the world going to look like now uh for mm-hmm. these characters after these big changes, these big revelations. Yeah. And, and for me, I I still haven't actually read the series in its entirety. I've read the first about a hundred issues of it. And then, uh, for some reason I was still buying all the hardcovers as they were coming out. And I always told myself that I was just going to read through it again from the beginning. Um, but I guess I haven't gotten around to it until, until now, but like these, the first, uh, Definitely the first 
uh, three years worth of stories. I've I've read those like a couple of times now. Like this is probably at least my third or fourth time reading issues uh, 14 to 24. Uh, but it's been quite a few years, so it's it's not exactly the freshest in my mind. So I reread it earlier this week, and I feel like there are quite a few things that. I noticed this time around that I wasn't necessarily that I didn't necessarily remember uh, last time. So it it's been a lot of fun, man. Like there are some aspects where I can see the different bits of foreshadowing taking place, and I'm also appreciating uh, some of the the details more too, since I'm I'm reading it not just to not just for entertainment, but I'm also reading it to try and pick up on those kind of things. Right, right, right. Yeah, this will be an interesting discussion, uh, if only because we're, we're both coming at it from pretty different uh, outlooks and perspectives at this point. Mm-hmm. So, so you want to talk about uh, the different key plot points of this run? Like, I mean, this whole episode is going to be all spoilers. That's the only way we can do this. So, yeah, don't hold well, back now. Well, okay, so... I guess the first thing that I want to mention about this second season—it's uh, not season, but second year of uh, stories—the uh, the first thing that I feel like I have to mention is the fact that compared to that the first year of stories, it just feels like there's a lot more going on. There's a lot of setup. Uh, Robert Kirkman is just dropping plot point over plot point over plot point and you don't really get too many resolutions um Mm -hmm. you know because robert kirkman and and this is just speculation on my part but it if i had to say i'm i'm guessing that he's just uh playing the long game and just setting up a lot of stories for you know how however long he expects the series to run for or you know yeah Um, so there's definitely it's jam-packed jam-packed full of stuff uh you got a lot of things going on i mentioned earlier that um you know uh mark mark grayson invincible has a lot of things going on in his life that are changing uh so it's not just the fact that he's dealing with 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 the knowledge that his dad you know whom he idolized and whom he thought was a hero is actually a bastard and (laughs) a conqueror (laughs) uh but Mark is also entering he's in this in this second year of the the in the of the story of the series he's graduating high school and entering college and on top of that for the first time in his life he's uh he's got like a real committed relationship with a girl you know you um, mean a girlfriend yeah, if you really want to call it that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so he's. It's. I I do feel like it's. The thing that I I I respect about Invincible is. You can tell that, Robert Kirkman read a lot of comics and he took all of the best elements of the stuff that we all grew up with, with teenage superheroes. And he found a way to apply it to Invincible. He made it contemporary. And he also cleaned it up, 
because you know a lot of those older stories with uh peter parker spider-man like those happened years ago and although like when they were originally created like those exactly exactly yeah it's like the the difference between being a teenager in the 60s versus being a teenager in the in the 2000s yeah totally different but but in addition to that what i was going to say was that um it's it's also the fact that those stories when they were written they you know there's we look at them pretty fondly but they weren't perfect i'm sure that there were like little things that that could have been improved upon and i think robert kirkman learned lessons from those and you know again in not just not just the fact that he made the stories in invincible about contemporary teenage life but he also cleaned up some of the some of the things that weren't so good or you know uh from from those earlier stories like what's an example of something that he cleaned up that wasn't good Mm -hmm. from those earlier stories um like okay i i I, i'm hesitant i was hesitant to use the the term not good but okay so when we did our um when we did our spider-man episode for uh the top 25 marvels yeah you know that was an opportunity to reread those spider-man comics right Uh and there are there are elements in those stories yeah there there are elements in those peter parker spider-man stories that are dated but there's also things about it where plot wise like some of the plot things were just kind of silly right Mm -hmm. like uh and 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 that's just a product of its time i guess uh yeah like it was simpler storytelling is what it was right yeah i mean it's kind of the same uh across all entertainment mediums like when you look at like a science fiction story from the 60s or some kind of or any kind of television show or any kind of entertainment really and compared to what we have today there's always going to be things when we look at the old stuff and be like huh that's uh that's quaint or yeah that's corny or dated or whatever well, and it could yeah. be just due to uh the the technology or the setting of the yeah. story but yeah. sometimes it is because the i don't know i guess the idea or the, whatever is going on in the plot can be kind of silly too because maybe back then they they didn't really uh they weren't quite as jaded as we are now <laughs> yeah well like okay so i'm I'm not gonna spike uh, cite a specific ex- example but there are just things where like oh well okay here here's here's another example but the the one thing that i can think of is the idea that superman wears glasses and that's enough mm-hmm. to to uh get yeah. people to not realize that superman and clark kent are the same guy mm-hmm. like that's not really a matter of oh that's quaint or um you know that that's not how people are uh like people changed like I, i'm pretty sure back then people would have been able to tell the difference between a guy uh, people would have been able to tell that clark kent and superman were the same guy just by looking at them right 
So Probably. it's not a matter. It's not a matter of oh, people were just dumber than than they are now. Yeah, I pe- mean, that people was, in the forties were idiots. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were constantly fighting Nazis and getting cancer. What morons! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pe- people in the forties didn't know what disguises were. So the fact that somebody put on some glasses that was a new thing to them. <laughs> yeah, but but that's. But that's what I mean, right? Like in terms of the plot or the storytelling, it just wasn't for for whatever reason that aspect of it wasn't uh thought out or it wasn't you know, it wasn't as complex or whatever. And yeah. and you know, um Robert Kirkman takes those lessons of uh from those things and he he finds a way to make them work, you know? Yeah. Uh, he he kind of takes those concepts and looks at them from a contemporary perspective where he is going to be uh concerned with how people in the modern age would regard uh you know things that happen in the superhero world, you know, like the the all the incidents that happen in Invincible's story, like those are things where they're not really just brushed off. Like, for example, the the big story with what happened between Mark and his father, like that's something where I think maybe in a different era of storytelling, people would have just kind of, you know, maybe, maybe they'd do like a one story or one issue dealing with, uh, the ramifications or the emotional ramifications but yeah uh when kirkman does his story pretty much in all of these issues it, it's just this heavy presence and you're constantly seeing mark and his mother uh just going through an emotional roller coaster in the aftermath of all that's yeah. happened to their lives and yeah. keep in mind in in the story there's a bunch of months that pass by so so it's it's more realistic in that sense where after something like this happens, you're not just going to get over it a week or two later, you know? Like, that's something yeah. where, like, four months, six months later, it's still going to be hard to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, speaking of which, so uh, this is where we enter spoiler territory, but um, you mentioned earlier uh, that this this year in, in the stories it was just chock full of new plot elements that Robert Kirkman was just throwing in there. So you have Mark going to college, you have his mother spiraling into like depression and dealing in her life with her life. uh, Post the fact that the man that she thought she loved just thought of her as little more than a pet. (laughs) (laughs) Why why, why do you laugh when you say that? Because when I read that in in the first year of uh, Invincible, that uh, that that wigged me out, man. That was <laughs> that's of all the things to leave an impact and to ha- leave have an effect on me. That had a weird effect on me because <laughs> again, Omni Man, this Superman like character, comes to Earth. He marries this human woman has a child with her raises a family with her and then when it's revealed that he's actually a villain he tells his son your mom is basically a 
a little, just a little bit more important to me than a pet. And <laughs> so in my brain, I have to reconcile the fact that he thinks of her as a pet and <laughs> the fact that he also made sweet, sweet love to her and sired a child with her. Um, Dang. Does that make that bestiality? I don't... I, th- I think so, man. Uh, right? You, you, you definitely... Just took us on a on a journey with that description there. <laughs> this is what I've been dealing with for a while. <laughs> Ever since I read that, <laughs> it's been eating at you, man. It, it's uh, it's probably something that you'd never really considered before. <laughs> yeah. So when I look at Superman and Lois Lane, what I'm looking at is a crime against nature. <laughs> <laughs> You know what so, I just thought of though? Oh, sorry. Were you gonna complete your? I was your... gonna say I'm gonna excuse myself. I need to take a shower. I just <laughs> I don't feel quite right. <laughs> I yeah, just need it's... to sit in the in the hot water and scrub my skin clean. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty dirty, man. It's pretty dirty. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say, you know how we were just talking about Superman putting on a pair of glasses. To look like Clark Kent. Yeah. Um, and that's his disguise. Yeah. Here's the thing with with Omni Man. So he doesn't wear a mask either, and he has a really distinctive mustache. Yeah. But when he's in his when he was in his civilian identity as Nolan Grayson, a famous author of novels, a famous novelist, there's like he's he people know what he looks like right like because he's a he's a novelist like he's yeah. gone to appearances and signings and and things like that i'm sure um to yeah. sell his books so it's not like people don't know what he looks like but how how is it that nobody seems to really make the connection that he is omni-man if i had to honestly say i think i feel like that's a, a con. I mean, it's obviously a conscious choice on Kirkman's part, mm. but if I had to say, it, my guess is it's a nod to the idea of uh, Superman and Clark Kent, right? Mm-hmm. So it's 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 kind of a I'm I'm not gonna say it's necessarily a joke, but it might be a a homage or just a wink or a nod to to that uh to that aspect of old timey comics right sure so sure. so it, it it's like i mentioned earlier like i do feel like a lot of the things that robert kirkman writes in 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 the way that and a lot of the things in the way that he writes you can tell that he's someone that that's read a lot of comics and he's found a way to improve on a lot of the things that has come before him you know um i think i think robert kirkman is for example i think he's like he he has a really interesting ability to like juggle tempo in that he knows what stories to drag on and to 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 what stories are going to occupy the overall uh, story arc 
over the course of the entire series, while at the same time the littler stories uh, or the littler like conflicts, he it's interesting to me that he's able to make those kind of go by really quick and maybe not flippantly, but he whereas someone like Claremont would drag it drag out certain elements of these teenage superhero stories he resolves it fairly quickly you know or there's these quick transitions so like one of the things for example uh that i was thinking of is in that first year of uh of invincible mark grayson and his best friend are looking at colleges and then all of a sudden mark grayson flies off because there's a there's a supervillain attack. He comes back as invincible, beats up the guy, runs away, comes back as Mark Grayson, and is like, "Gee, guys, wasn't that crazy? You know, that's and that's that's a staple of of uh, superhero storytelling going back like years. You know? Yeah, the whole the old secret identity thing. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is that all the all the other writers in the past, I feel like have dragged that out you know because it it becomes that becomes the story is how does peter parker maintain his secret identity while being spider-man right and Mm -hmm. there's always this juggling and this convenience and then occasionally someone comes really close to finding out and the story becomes what happens now that how how's he going to deal with it now that this person is closer than ever to finding out it's that constant uh tension right right robert kirkman doesn't do that mark grayson comes back after the battle uh after the supervillain is defeated and his buddy is super nonchalant and he just goes dude why didn't you just tell me you were a superhero (laughs) yeah that's true you know and so robert kirkman doesn't drag this out and because he doesn't drag it out he gives it a whole new dynamic and the story becomes uh mark grayson and his buddy now uh living with this you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and and i thought that was interesting is, is that he he learned that lesson from you know from peter parker's spider-man or from every teen superhero sense you know and he decided to go a different route with it yeah yeah you know i mean i think static did something similar back in the 90s too so but oh, but yeah. you're right like the the majority of superheroes there's always that secret identity that comes into play and they're always trying to protect it even from their their best friends yeah and after a certain point it 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 just it does become kind of uh just this cliche i suppose yeah Yeah. cliche where you already kind of know the routine of how that story plays out so it is more interesting to see that his friend figured it out right away which makes sense too because you know they grew up together and they're best friends yeah yeah and again like the the story of um you know omni man's betrayal uh that he he robert kirkman knows to give that that's going to be the central theme of this whole thing so it's clearly something that he's drawing out for dramatic effect right yeah it's not a little thing it really isn't yeah and yeah yeah go ahead i was just gonna say uh 
about Kirkman regarding his writing style in the in the deluxe hardcovers uh, that I have, uh, at least the first couple volumes, they both have uh, little introductions um, by other people. And they also have afterwards by Kirkman. At the end of the second hardcover that I read for this week, Kirkman talks a little bit about his process in writing this year's, that year's worth of issues, issues 14 through 24. And one of the things that I thought stood out was he said pretty plainly that uh, the first 13 issues of Invincible, he plotted those a lot tighter. He didn't really have a lot of uh, subplots uh, going on concurrently with unresolved um, dangling plot threads that needed to be, uh, you know, cleaned up by the end of the of the run, uh, because he pretty much cleaned everything up, uh, almost everything up uh, by the end of that year. And the reason was because when he first started writing the series, I guess it was on shaky footing, and he didn't realize he didn't know how long the series would last. So he figured if he could tell like his 12 or 13 issues worth of story and that was all he got, at least then he would, you know, go out on a high note. Right. But right. in the afterward to this volume, he mentioned that by the time they got to issue 14, he got the sense uh, that the series was on solid footing. So, you know, there wasn't any danger of cancellation at that yeah. point. And he realized oh, okay, now that I can write this for a good while, I'm just going to start writing the comic the way that I really want to write it. And yeah. what he really wanted to do was to just have a gigantic cauldron and throw everything in there and let it simmer. Yeah. Well, and he, he could only do that because he had confidence that the series wasn't going to get canceled. Yeah. I was going to say that I did notice that this second year felt a lot denser than the first year. I, it, I'm not saying that it was wordy like Claremont or anything, but it, it was, like we mentioned, um, there were a lot of new plot points that were added this this uh, in this year, but it also felt like in terms of the dialogue, there was a lot going on um, compared to the previous year, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like there, there are a lot of scenes that show up for a couple pages at a time and then you don't see anything regarding that subplot for several issues and then uh you'll see a few more pages there and then so on and so forth like the the story about the reanimen those cyborg things those cyborg zombie things that are popping up at the college yeah cuz i believe we actually saw that was the thing uh, that Invincible that was like the fought. first thing he fought or something like that. Yeah, that that was the thing he fought in that incident you were just relating, where uh, his best friend Will William figured out his secret identity when they went to visit the college. Yeah, and and that was uh, you know months ago before they graduated high school and they were just still checking out colleges. And then in in this in these volumes, they're in college now, and that whole thing with this zombie cyborgs still hasn't been resolved and now they're getting closer to figure to realizing that 
you know, something is going on. I mean, even at this point, they don't, they're, they're not consciously aware that something is going on with the reanimen. But mm-hmm. we as the readers, we see the, this one mad scientist dude, uh, he's one of the students there, uh, Sinclair. He's, he's the one who's been experimenting on corpses this whole time. And he ends up deciding that he needs to use live subjects to make his cyborgs. Yeah. But we don't actually, like within issues 14 to 24, like we see a little bit of him experimenting and trying to, and trying to get a test subject, but we don't actually see the whole storyline get resolved. Like we don't see Mark learn what's going on and then go and stop him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a long game. Um, like, like I mentioned, uh, a lot of these pl- plot points that get introduced, you don't get any resolutions. Um, another example is uh, we've got, yeah, there, there's a whole bunch of these. Like, there's the story of Titan. Uh, he's He was some guy that was introduced as just like a jobber in, in the first year and just He's he's this villain who's basically like a rock man, right? And yeah, and he fights Invincible once in in the first year, and Invincible just you know beats him up and takes him out of action. And as the reader, you're just like, oh, he's just you know he's just someone for Invincible to beat up. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But then the in this exact second, definition of a jobber, exactly. And in this uh, second year. We see him again, but uh, this time he gets a lot more screen time, and they eventually even build a story around him, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. When he comes back this time, uh, Invincible shows up and basically threatens him, and the guy goes, look, I don't want to get beaten up again, so I'm just going to help you out. And he, he joins Invincible on, like, some small project, some small mission, and that gets him in trouble with this really big crime boss, uh, uh, this cr- crime lord. I forgot what his name was. You remember? I think it was Machine Head. Yeah, I think that's right. So it gets him in trouble with this Machine Head guy, and eventually Titan decides to go to Invincible. And oh, and I feel like this needs to be mentioned. But another change in uh, in, in Mark Grayson's life is with his dad gone. The government has decided to take Invincible under their wing and under their employ, actually, and mm-hmm. make make him a government employee that does superhero work under their uh, regulation, you know? So they pay yeah. him, they pay him and tell him what missions to go on. So so this Titan guy, he goes to Mark, uh, to Mark Grayson, he goes to Invincible and he says... Hey man, I want to take down this machine head guy, but I've never been able to do it on my own. But now that you're here, you're, you know, you've got the muscle and the power and the backing to help me, you know, finally put this guy away once and for all. They go there, they sh- have this showdown, they beat this guy up, and you know, for for a brief moment, that that feels like it's it. They've defeated this underworld crime boss, and that's mm-hmm. the end of the story. And then there's a revelation that. Titan was actually playing the long game and he tricked Invincible into helping him overthrow this crime boss 
and so that he could usurp him and take his role as the new crime boss. <laughs> and they just let Titan go because up to this point, he was just a jobber who was just, you know, doing, uh, like, tick, tick, ticky-tack stuff, right? Just really yeah. small, just really small, um, petty, cr- well, not petty crimes, but, you know, nothing sinister. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to overthrow the world or anything like that. So, yeah, and I, I don't think he was rampantly going around murdering people either. Yeah. Like he, so, and the fact that he helped Invincible overthrow this crime boss, I guess the government was like, thanks for the help. So they kind of turned a blind eye to his previous yeah. crimes. They were, he was in their good graces, you know? Yeah. So that was one of the storylines. I will say that there was one thing that I, I thought was really interesting in that story arc, which was uh, when when Titan and Invincible were flying over to uh, beat up Machine Head, yeah. they were having this conversation about, you know, what Titan was going to do. And Invincible was saying, hey, you can turn over and you leave. You can be a good guy now, you know, uh, you know. Uh, this this could be an opportunity to turn your life around, and yeah. Titan Titan gives a pretty real explanation as to why he wouldn't want to do it, and I I just thought it was a pretty interesting discussion where he essentially goes, you as a good guy are are fighting this uphill fight, and you guys are never gonna do what it takes to really, uh, you know, get rid of these villains or whatever like. You're just going to put him in jail and he's just going to break back out again because that's your job, you know? Mm-hmm. You're just maintaining order without overstepping your boundaries. And the thing is, like, me as a bad guy, I don't, I don't, I'm not fighting that uphill battle. I can just kind of do whatever I want and <laughs> whenever things get too real, I just have to turn myself in until I get a chance to get away and do it all over again, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was a pretty, like, interesting conversation that the two had. It was a pretty uh, pretty real dialogue. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Also, uh, about, about that whole sequence, uh, when they go to Machine Head's uh, office or whatever you call his, his base. His lair. His lair. <laughs> He has all these other supervillains out there uh, who are protecting him and end up fighting Invincible and Titan. And some of the guys are pretty funny, man. Like that dude, uh, the Tether Tyrant. <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, that's a pretty. He, he's like, like bizarre the, idea concept. <laughs> yeah, he he's like the modern day paste pot Pete or something, you know. He's I was a guy thinking who, stilt man. <laughs> Or Stiltman. He, yeah. He's a guy who wears this vest. I don't even know if it's a vest or if it's his actual, just part of his body. But yeah. inside his chest, it looks like there's just gigantic strands of chewing gum or bubble gum. And he uses that to wrap people up. And it's super stretchy. And yeah. I guess he traps people and yanks them to him. It's it's bizarre, man. But it's, it's, it's pretty funny. It's goofy, but it's kind of a fun concept that... You know, it's it's the fun super villainy kind of concept that you don't see too often anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like too often nowadays I do feel like new villains try to be 
cool, quote unquote, you know? Like yeah. everyone's trying to be a venom or something. And <laughs> and this guy, I I don't necessarily think he's cool, but he's just kind of a bizarre idea. Yeah, there's something goofy about it. Yeah. But, but it's it, it's still it works, fun man. to watch. Yeah, yeah. Or it's fun to read about. It, you know? it works in this especially in this style, because Otley's style is so reminiscent of I don't know, like a cartoon or some kind of animation. Like it, mm. it's not necessarily the most uh, photorealistic kind of stuff or anything, but it it just looks like fun superhero comic book art. Yeah. So you have sure. a guy wearing uh, a weird contraption on his chest, and his chest has a hole in it, and inside that hole is some gigantic pink. Uh, bubble gum that he uses to attack yeah. people. <laughs> it's creative, yeah. man. I like it. Yeah, 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 for and sure. There's some other pretty uh, funny ideas too, like that dude Furnace. He's. he's I just, thought that was cool. Yeah, he <laughs> he has this gigantic. Uh, it's a furnace armor. Armor. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it, it, he looks like an old school, like coal burning furnace. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Imagine if. If an old school uh, coal furnace had a baby with the Crimson Dynamo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, what else? Do... The there other are... dude I like is Battle Beast. He was cool looking. Like, he's, legitimately he's totally cool. just like those 80s Battle Beast toys that we used to buy all the time, man. Yeah. When I saw that, I there was a part of me was that was like, wait, is that his little... Winking and nod to that toy because that's pretty cool if that is. It it has to be man. Like yeah. there's, it's too obvious man. Yeah. It has to be a nod and I, and I'm pretty sure that Kirkman and Otley, they're they're not really too much older than us so I don't think so they, they are. Know, they, yeah, know so they, they know their they know their eighties toys. Yep exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's also Isotope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isotope. He's the lieutenant to the crime boss and he looks just like james syme of the isotope comic store here in san francisco <laughs> yeah so um you know he's he's a guy that i gets a lot of uh love and respect from the comic book community so they're constantly putting him in all these different comic books as a cameo you know yeah funny thing is is that in here in invincible his, the character that they based on him has quite a few lines, you know? Like, he doesn't just... Like, there are he, other comics yeah. I've read where he's just a corpse. Yeah. Yeah. He's... I mean, I don't know if, like, moving forward, because, again, this is this is the first time that I've read uh, this uh, these issues, but I don't know if he plays a bigger part, but, you know, he certainly plays... A bigger part relative to what we're accustomed to seeing him play in other comics, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he actually had lines, you know? Yeah. And it, it's pretty funny how accurate he looks to the real James because James, if you ever meet him, he has that really distinctive facial hair. And, and haircut. He always, and haircut. And he always wears a suit. Like, yeah. no matter... No matter uh, what he's doing, man. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure he said that uh, he the only clothes he owns are suits, 
and they're yeah. all just fun suits, you know. And Isotope, the the character in Invincible, he wears a a fun suit that you could easily imagine the real James wearing. Yeah, yeah, he's he's got like this spiked up green hair in the comic, and well, his the suit's suit is green. green. Is it is his hair green? I forget. I think his hair was green too. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah. But the the funny thing is is that I was just uh looking at some some old uh Batman comics, some detective comics issues. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a story that Ed Brubaker and Patrick Zercher did back in the early two thousands called Made of Wood, which is another probably that that should be an evergreen batman story but in that in that three issue story they uh drew james as a corpse it, it's basically like a they batman and the golden age green lantern are tracking down this uh serial killer and one of the one of the victims is james syme <laughs> <laughs> so oh, you can man. you can find that story in the He's like, where's Waldo? <laughs> yeah, you can find that Batman story in the Man Who Laughs collected edition because they they always include it in the collected edition. The other thing that I remember seeing James in was in Walking Dead, one of the first issues. I forget if it was which issue exactly, but somewhere in the first six issues, he shows up as a corpse when when Glenn is taking Rick throughout the city. You see, mm. you can see James as a corpse in the foreground. Yeah, I, I remember it too. Like, I don't remember specifically where it was in there, but you do. It's, it's pretty, like, upfront and in your face. Like the, yeah. the spe- specific panel that he's in. You know, it's there's no mistaking yeah. that it's it's him. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's just a fun. Fun little detail, these little cameos. Yeah. Were there any other um, plots or 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 yeah, plot points that jumped out at you when you were reading? Uh, yeah, yeah. Reading it this uh, time around. There, there are a couple more big ones that stood out. Uh, I'll, I'll start with Mark and Amber's relationship. You mentioned earlier that Mark was in a committed relationship with a female or whatever, <laughs> however you phrase it. I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember how you phrased it. You said something that made me laugh, though. It was it was really long and it was like just, yeah, anyways. <laughs> I don't remember how I phrased it. <laughs> We'll have to go back and listen to ourselves. Yeah. So the thing about Amber is that in those in the first 13 issues, she was mentioned, but I didn't really feel like she was much of a character. <clears throat> yeah. Did you see her in one issue before she really does anything, and then I think next time you see her, they're in cl- in class at high school, and she gives Mark uh, a note to call her, and he's like, "Oh, sweet! Can't believe my luck." Yeah, and then I think through bits of dialogue you learn that they've been going out on dates, but she's not really a character, you know. Like there isn't really anything to her. But finally, uh, in this second year's worth of stories of issues, you actually get to see a good amount of character development from her, 
a good amount of character building uh, between Mark and Amber, just their relationship and the development uh, of their relationship. So it, it's pretty well done, I think. And there's also, it also makes, made me think of how Kirkman and Otley and the whole team, you know, they, they tell this story with all these characters. Like, it's this series has a massive cast, but they don't uh, feel obligated to show us every single little bit of time uh, that these characters live, you know? Like, you don't have to see every single moment of their lives. So it's, mm. it's almost like, or it's not almost like, it's the story is not a complete minute-by-minute biography of these fictional characters but when uh we're in between issues or off panel or or you know when you don't actually see the characters you get the sense that their lives are still going on like their lives are still advancing and their relationships are are developing even when we're not looking at them and it really Mm -hmm. fits the whole pattern of the series because uh, as we said there are so many subplots that are just simmering that you kind of have to be able to believe that things are still happening even when you're not looking at them. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's, um, yeah, I, I, I completely got that same impression because in that first year, it just feels like she's just this almost inanimate object that's just there just to have a crush on him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like she has a crush on him and then, you see her give him uh, her number, and then like later on, you learn that they're going out on dates, but you don't really see them together. You know, like you don't really see them yeah. talking to each other the way that a real couple talk, talk to each, each other. other. Yeah, yeah. And then, and, yeah, totally. Once you get to this second year, their it their relationship does come to the forefront more and it it fits with the story because a lot of basically what happens is um once once mark grayson once invincible becomes starts working for the government understandably they're sending him out on missions all the time and as a result as a result um mark grayson has to disappear at a moment's notice you know Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and this is where we kind of see uh, that evolution or, or another take on that um, on, on the more traditional secret identity thing because here in this in in this uh, specific part of the story, Mark Grayson is trying to maintain his secret identity, and I guess yeah I guess it's a way to do it. I guess it's like having his cake, Robert Kirkman having his cake and eating it too. So mm-hmm. uh, on the one hand, he can toss that whole secret identity thing out with some characters in his life so that he can tell these new kinds of stories that uh, in the modern age about how someone would maintain their secret identity. While at the same time, Mark Grayson actually does... Um, still maintain some of that old school uh you know storytelling where he's trying to keep his secret identity a secret and 
it's interesting. There was even this one line where he's talking to his buddy about it, and he he gives that same the the stock reason for the secret identity, which is I don't want my supervillains to find out about my family because I don't want my girl, my loved ones, or my family to get hurt. And the guy's just like, I'm pretty sure none of us know any supervillains, and we're not gonna you know snitch on you or anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is which is a very like modern approach or, or 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 way to look at that you know <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and i also like how in invincible amber figures out mark's secret identity because uh there's a good build-up to it because early on she she doesn't really suspect that he's a superhero yeah she, she actually thinks that he's a drug dealer and that yeah. he's, he's like always He's got this beeper and he's always on the run because he's dealing drugs to help make ends meet now that his dad died. So she yeah. she doesn't realize uh, who he really is or that Omni-Man was his father, even though she, like the rest of the world, was aware of the battle between Omni-Man and Invincible. But mm. when she's kind of at that point where she is losing her confidence in Mark because he's so flaky... She's talking with that one friend of hers at her college and just trying to figure out what it could be that is making Mark the way that he is. She kind of puts things together and, and like figures out, wait, his dad did die right around the time when uh, Omni-Man left the Earth, right? Like she, because like the story that everybody, that the public heard about, uh, or not the public, but the, the story that the world. Mark... I was going to say the story that, that Mark's uh, family and friends uh, uh, have been told is that his father died in a car crash so that they don't realize he's uh, Omni-Man. Mm-hmm. But that's another... See, that, that was the thing that made me question, though, uh, that made me question... Uh, Omni-Man's secret identity because clearly he is a, f- a famous author that people uh, recognize and buy his books. And I I don't remember if Amber ever met Mark's father uh, in person, but if she's if they have pictures of the author on his books or anything. Like I, I imagine, like people have seen his face, right? Yeah. Like you, you got to figure like people at Mark's school, like his teachers or some people like that, who who read books, might be aware of who his father is. Maybe have uh, seen him before, but how come they don't recognize that he's Omni Man? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I again, I, I still feel like it's it's more of a a wink and a nod. Uh, like, that's the only way that that makes sense to me. Unless yeah. they they develop some sort of reasoning in the story, which I have yet to come across. So, and, and again, I, I haven't read anything past what, what, what we've already read in the second year. So, yeah. for all I know, there might be something way down the line. Uh, but... Yeah, and if there is, I I've already forgotten it, so it's yeah yeah it's it's gonna be a discovery for me also. Yeah, yeah, um, 
Yeah, it, the only explanation I could possibly give is that it's it's just meant to be tongue in cheek, in mm-hmm. in that it, it's a nod to the 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 idea that people can look at Superman and all it would take is glasses for them not to realize yeah. that he's not Clark Kent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I mean, all of that to get was me just trying to get to the point of how I, I like seeing. Mark and Amber's relationship play out. I like seeing how uh, they actually had a whole, like a big chunk of pages devoted to Mark explaining his life to to her and just having that conversation. Yeah. You know, like it it kind of doubles as a recap because yeah, you know, he goes over everything that's happened in the story so far. So it's kind of like yeah. the comic book equivalent of a clip show. Yeah. But at the same time it makes sense that they would talk about that because she wants to learn all about him. And the fact that he's able to bear his soul to her and uh, be vulnerable to her, it really draws them even closer together. Yeah. And I do think that that one, so that, that entire story where they have the conversation of when, when uh, Mark, bears his soul and just discusses all Mm -hmm. of the things that happened in the previous issue Mm -hmm. that all there was like one issue that was just dedicated to that conversation which is pretty cool as a reader because everything that it you're seeing it again in in this condensed form in this one issue all the stuff that happened in the previous year but yeah but the thing is you get added context from what Mark Grayson has to say about it. Because up to that point, you're just... I'm not going to say that uh, Invincible... Uh, you know, Mark Grayson isn't uh, emoting uh, or or dealing with his issues yeah. up to that point. He is. But you get to see a little more of that and a little extra depth. Because to some degree, once... Uh, once everything happens, he just like I think I would assume most people just uh, Mark Mark Grayson ends up just putting his efforts into just kind of keeping everything together because his <laughs> life is changing so fast after this, right? Yeah. So he's just kind of uh, what's the word? He's uh, moving with the punches just to adjust to all these changes. Yeah. And like most people, when something that big happens to you it's in those quiet moments when you can sit and actually deconstruct all the things that have happened that, I don't know, the walls yeah. just kind of come down and everything just comes out, you know? Yeah. Like a time of reflection. Yeah, totally. So it was so a, the it thing was about issue that, that issue totally works. Yeah. And the, the thing about that issue was that it was uh, a special number zero issue. Mm. I actually remember buying that, off the rack back in 2005 when I was when I was still in college and I still remember the very first time I read that issue too I was I was at uh the the student lounge like in the in this main student lounge at uh UC Davis I mean they've remodeled it since then but I was uh that was a good memory man like I for some reason reading that comic just took me back to that point in time where I was reading a comic in the student lounge on a on like a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> nice. 
I That's... think the zero issue was super cheap too. I think it was like one of those twenty-five cent promos. So it was like a way to get people caught up on the series while still giving the fans something to consume too. So, you know, like it. It's. I feel like even though it's a recap issue, I feel like it's an issue that people don't that people should not skip. You know, like there's there's actually uh, significance to that recap issue. Yeah. Yeah. I I could see that. It felt pretty seamless reading it in the trade. Like, I didn't even realize it was the Zero issue or mm-hmm. this special issue until you just mentioned it just now. I just yeah. thought it was just part of their overall uh, ongoing yeah, like the, story. Yeah, exactly. That's That's how seamless it was. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, special issues, like one of the issues that takes a break from the overall story of Invincible, but still, you know, has its roots deeply tied into the mythos and the world of Invincible is the story of Alan the Alien. He's yes. another character that was introduced initially seemingly as this throwaway one one-off character in the first year um well that's not true uh initially when you first see him he's just kind of a guy that uh invincible beats up and then towards the end of the first year he comes back and it's revealed that he's actually got a lot more going mm-hmm. uh and a lot more uh a lot deeper roots tied into the story of uh, Omni Man and the, the Viltrumites. Viltrumites. I always have a problem saying the race, their race. Um, but we see him again in this second year, and it's it's a pretty it uh, it it definitely reveals more about everything that's going on in space. It reveals more about his connection to the Viltrumites and. So basically what happens in the story is we find out that Alan the alien we so we already knew that he was part of a race of these beings I forgot are they called like Udontans Ud- I think they were Udontans? called Unopins Unopins okay I don't know if that's the way the way it's pronounced but it looks like Uno and Pans Uno okay. Pans I don't know Uno Pans <laughs> We'll have to watch so, the animated series to learn how they pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what we learned was that his race was actually wiped out by or brought close to extinction by the Viltrumites. They invaded their home planet and just wiped out a bunch of them to the point where they ended up having to flee their planet and they were forced to... Uh, create these breeding colonies just so they could bring their numbers back up you know it's a really like mechanical way of fostering children yeah and it's all for the survival of their species exactly and so so we knew that uh alan was actually created to be like their champion you know they they took all of their science and created this genetically perfect being and in this particular story, uh, in, in the second year, what we find out is that 
in his first battle with the Viltrumites, they actually beat the crap out of him. Uh, mm-hmm. So they had put all this hope in him that he would be this being that would, you know, throw back the tide of the Viltrumites. And he ended up losing that fight. And as a result, he didn't he didn't die from the fight, but they decided to utilize him nonetheless by just sending him out into the universe to look for people to fight. And if there was anybody out there in existence who could beat him up, they would try to recruit them to fight the Viltrumites, which is pretty depressing. (laughs) You wouldn't want that job for yourself, Albert? No, I look, I, if, if, if they came to me and like built me up as this, as this conquering hero, this champion for them, and then only took that away for a secondary job, which was we want you to find to let to fight people, get beat up, and then try to recruit those people that beat me up to help <laughs> us. That's a that's a pretty high fall from gear, fall from grace, if you ask me. <laughs> it could be a high fall from grace, but would it be an improvement over your current life? In my current life, like right now, like yes. Right now, or yes. in my life as a champion and protector of these people. No, your life right now. Oh, uh, I'm not constantly getting beaten up, so I would say my life is fine right now. Okay, okay. So you wouldn't <laughs> want to be Albert the alien. I would not. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Would you? Would I want to be you? No, would you want to go out into the universe and get beaten up just so you can throw yourself at the feet of the guy that beat you up and beg him to save your people? Well, I don't think that's exactly how (laughs) Alan the Alien does it. (laughs) No, I'm pretty sure he goes to planets where they don't have have. people that can beat him up too. He wins his his fair share of, of fights. That's true. That's true. But the way that they phrased it, it just made it sound like his specific job was to, like, I'm sure he was his specific job wasn't to go out there and lose on purpose, because what would the point of that be? But mm-hmm. still, the idea was, well, you're not good enough to be our champion, so the best that you can do is be the guy that, you know, fights guys that can be our champion. <laughs> well... I think that would only be a problem if you were an extremely prideful person. But, you know, being you, you humble, man. So I don't think it would crush your spirit as much as you say it would. Uh, okay. You, you're, you're giving me a little bit of credit. So I'll, I'll be I, gracious about it. I got all it. sorts of credit to you, man. <laughs> Albert the Alien, dude. That could be your new nickname. Yeah. Well, if you guys want to send us fan art as me of me as an alien, by all means do so, and uh, we will post it up on our Instagram, and we will we will like you, and we will love you. I will. will I will, will fight beg you, you to and, join us and lead us. I will fight you, and if you beat me, I will beg you to be our savior. <laughs> 
So in he addition, is a great character though. Alan, he's, yeah, he's, he's a, a likable character. He's lovable, man. Yeah. Like, even the way that they draw him, like his facial expressions, there's something yeah. kind of innocent about him. Yeah, super innocent for a one-eyed cyclops kind of looking alien dude with, yeah. I don't know, he's got like three or four fingers or something on yeah. each hand. His, you know, he, he's red he's crazy, crazy buff. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, uh, he looks... He's a pure character, though. Yeah, there's like, something pure and kind about him. Yeah, like, his facial expressions are never mean or menacing, even though, again, his job is just to travel the spaceways looking for people to fight. Yeah. You even know? those issues where we saw him before and he uh, fought Invincible, the, the dialogue that they had together, you could tell that he wasn't a mean-spirited or vindictive kind of person. He was just uh, trying to do his job so he could help ensure the survival of not just his own people, but all of the people in the Coalition, which is something that we learn about in his Spotlight issue. Yeah. We learn about the, the Alien Coalition full of all these different uh alien races that have already i think they're they've either been conquered by the viltrumites or they're uh, in danger of the viltrumites so they all the only way that they can even have a hope to yeah. survive is to band together yeah my impression was that they were in danger of being conquered because and i might be reading too much into it but like they wouldn't go into earth space because the viltrumites were already there Oh, that's true. Yeah, you're right. So, you're right. So they were, so it feels like they were just a band of various races that were afraid of uh, invasion by the Viltrumites. Yeah, they knew the threat existed, and they wanted to do whatever they could to yeah. be proactive in safeguarding themselves. Yeah, and in the story, Alan the alien, he he brings news to the what were they called again? The coalition? the coalition. He brings news to the coalition that on Earth there was a Viltrumite that abandoned their post, which was Omni Man, and that uh, Viltrumite had a son, which was Mark, and mm -hmm. that the son, you know, more or less renounced the ways of the Viltrumites. So you know, this was big news to to the coalition because amongst them. Uh, there was a lot of chatter that this could be a sign that the loyalty of all the other Viltrumites might not be as steadfast as they thought, you know? Yeah, exactly. There's, there's a chance it's the first, they could... Yeah, it's the first sign of hope that they've had in who knows how long. Yeah. So now they're thinking, if we go to those other planets and find the offspring of the Viltrumites, maybe the, these offspring will not be as loyal to the Viltrumite cause. Maybe they can help the Coalition. Yeah, yeah. And The other thing about the Coalition... Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, just real quick, one of the other things that they kind of tease in the other Invincible issues is that... Uh, like, I don't know if this is true of any of the other offsprings of the Viltrumites, uh, of the of the, you know, the bestial uh, <laughs> interactions that these Viltrumites have with whatever the local species are. Bestial um, infractions. That's a great <laughs> euphemism. Where do you come up with this stuff, Albert? 
I don't know, man. I read books. <laughs> <laughs> you know words, dude. You know I words. read books. <laughs> but the thing is, um, they tease the idea that, at least in the case of Mark Grayson, in the case of Invincible, there's a chance that he may end up being even more powerful than his dad. Yeah. They so, uh, mentioned that Viltrumite blood is so pure that... Like, any offspring that they end up having is going to be basically at least as strong as a normal Viltrumite, right? Yeah. I mean, I do remember... Yeah, I I, I, I don't know how the science works, because I'm, I'm not a eugenicist. But... <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never adhered to Aryan ideology. <laughs> But, Good to know. <laughs> but um, at least the way that Omni-Man talked about it with um, Invincible, what, there were points where he mentions that, yeah, like, Invincible could be as strong as Omni-Man, and he may even have the potential to be more powerful than him. Mm-hmm. So... So if if we take that pos- that logic and apply it to the other offspring, you know, there's a chance that they'd have a pretty powerful buff army on their hands. Yeah, uh, assuming that the, the offspring uh, aren't loyal to the Viltrumite cause. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What were you gonna say earlier? I'm, uh, I cut you off. Sorry. Oh, I was gonna ask you if you noticed how when they showed the coalition, one of the it looked like one of the characters sitting on the council of the coalition was Battle Beast. Was it? Did you I, notice that? It to me, it looked like it could have been Battle Beast. I mean, maybe it's just a guy that looks like him, but I I thought it was him, and I I wasn't sure if you caught that or not. Hold on. Well, uh, I I didn't catch that, so I I I'd have to check yeah, that again. It's, it's in it's in issue twenty three. So if you if you look at issue twenty three. And look at the scene where Alan is reporting to the council on the left side of the of the room. Battle Beast is sitting there. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So there's a chance that as a character that the Battle Beast that we did see uh, in that other issue, he may come back and he might have more significance than we know. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just, maybe it's not Battle Beast. I can't remember if it is or not, but it, it's a guy that looks like Battle Beast. The, so, if you look at a issue twenty three and you compare that Battle Beast looking dude to how Battle Beast looks in the issue where he fights uh, Invincible and Titan, the 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 Invincible uh, the Battle Beast in the Council, like he has a similar color scheme and he has the yeah. same face. But he's got the, the braids too. Yeah, and he has the braids. So you're looking at it, right? Yeah. yeah. So I I think it they might like be the him. same species. But yeah, it could be the same. They species. might not be the same guy. Yeah. His clothes are slightly different, even though the color yeah. scheme is the same. Yeah. Yeah. And that guy was pretty buff too. He was able to defeat Invincible and a bunch of the other Guardians of the Globe. Yeah. So. Yeah, he re- he really messed them up. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what comes out of the 
council. Like, I want to see just, it's just the kind of thing that makes you wonder how united everybody is and what can they really do against the Viltramites. Yeah. And there, there's like so many, like, every time we see uh, these different scenes and subplots, it, it just kind of feels like there are even more questions that are simmering in the pot. Yeah. You know? Like, you just want to f- see what is going to happen next. Like, how is all of, like, how is, how is he juggling? How is Kirkman? How are Kirkman and Otley juggling all these plot threads at the same time? Yeah, you know, it's 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 just so much going on, and you're yeah. you're just kind of waiting to see what happens when everything just explodes. It's just crazy world building on the part of uh, on the part of Robert Kirkman, you know, mm-hmm. just to like his ability to seed all these details and to bring them back around like it's it's really it's the kind of thing that rewards um the investment of the reader you know yeah yeah absolutely yeah um yeah like so in that same issue where we learn about alan the alien there are also what ends up happening to him is um pretty sad it's pretty sad man like so once he brings this information uh to to the to the coalition they the viltramites actually show up uh at the space station that he's at and they just beat the living daylights out of him you know they rip him apart yeah like his eye pops out and his intestines are just flying around. They rip off his arm. It's, I, I thought for sure he was just dead, dude. Honestly. Yeah. I was reading some of the commentary in the hardcover and apparently, uh, Alan, the alien was, a uh, one of the fan favorite characters as the series was, uh, being serialized. So was it one of those things where they were about to kill him, but then they decided not to because people loved him so much? <laughs> well, I think Kirkman intended the scene to play out the way it did because uh-huh. you can tell from the the that issue where he gets torn apart. At the very end of the issue, they mentioned that they were able to save his life. Yeah. So it wasn't like um, they it wasn't like he intended to kill him, and then the fans. We're like, how could you do that? That's and true. he was like, okay, I'll bring him back. So he, That's true. the way he, he played it out, or the way he planned it, was the way that he executed it. But the funny thing is that I read is that he had, Kirkman had some personal friends that he knew really liked Alan. So uh-huh. when that issue, before that issue came out uh, in stores, he actually took that one page where you see Alan's body just ripped apart with his entrails floating in space. And he sent that page to his friends just to piss wow. him off. <laughs> so they would think that he killed Alan. That's pretty funny. Yeah, that made me laugh, man. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, so you mentioned the scene where we see Alan after the Viltrumites, you know, beat the living daylights out of him and, you know, almost beat him to death. And the leader of the council is sitting there and having a conversation with him. And there's a revelation that within, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the, the possibility that the council is nowhere near as strong as they may seem because right in this last panel here, 
the the leader of the council says that there might be a mole in the organization you know they're yeah. the one organization in the universe that is actively trying to stop the viltrumites and guess what even amongst them there are people that are actively working against them from within to stop this from happening and you would think that that wouldn't be the case but yeah yeah yeah, definitely so, makes you kind of uh, wary about what's going to happen to them. Yeah, it's a pretty huge. Uh, again, it's another. It's the seeding of another huge uh, a plot point, and mm-hmm. and we don't get a resolution to that in 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 this year. You know. Yeah. It, it's it's another plot point out of the many plot points uh, that that uh, Robert Kirkman introduced. That yeah, another just, slow burn. Yeah, that we just didn't get a resolution to, and you know, reading this, I do feel it. it my my imagination is set pretty is pretty excited at the prospect of what it's going to look like when all these things coalesce. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, man. It'll be interesting to see like just how it all plays out. Yeah. Yeah, and and you just made me uh, remember another big uh, subplot, which was the subplot with Angstrom Levy. Yeah, the dude who who uh, found all of his counterparts throughout the multiverse and yeah. wanted to and built this gigantic machine where he could absorb all of their knowledge into himself. Yeah, uh, so, and the Mahler twins help him build that machine. It's that that's a pretty big thing too. Yeah. So this guy just shows up out of nowhere. I wasn't sure if he was in that first year. He he wasn't a character that appeared in the first year, right? No, he wasn't. I, I do not believe he was. Okay. So all of a sudden, this dimension-hopping guy uh, character shows up. And his story his story feels like it, it came out of nowhere. I, I wasn't expecting it at all. But yeah. it, was, it was interesting because... This guy, this guy's story starts with this alternate dimension where uh, Invincible and Omni Man are working together to conquer the planet, and this guy jumps into that dimension and steals an alternate universe version of himself from that dimension. Yeah, and and the larger plan is revealed that this guy has the power to enter into other dimensions but the interesting thing about his the the way his power works is that he can only enter a dimension in the same location so if you're standing the way that i understand it is if you're standing in your driveway for example and you enter this portal that takes you to another dimension you will exist in the same spot that you were standing in in your dimension yeah exactly yeah Yeah. that's that's exactly how they described it yeah so the thing about him is he's he's going to all these different dimensions to find all these different versions of himself and he's he's taking these two super criminals called the Mahler twins and using them to create a device so that he can take all of the various alternate dimension versions of himself and absorb all of their collective knowledge into himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 
and and that that entire project ends up going bad because the Mahler twins they in order to get the aid of the Mahler twins he had to pull them out of prison and as a result the the government has been watching them for a while and just before they're about to initiate their uh angstrom's master plan the Mahler twins uh invincible breaks in to you know subdue the Mahler twins but you know as yeah as in the example when mad science is going on and there's a fight breaking out that rarely ends well <laughs> yeah 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 complicated delicate machinery isn't a good combination with a superhero fight yeah if someone was testing a nuclear reactor while like two dudes were just punching machines and breaking wires and uh breaking computers all over the place i'd be worried <laughs> yes <laughs> that that is not an ideal situation for is this, anyone is this the place to be where in. people should be fighting <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> uh. There was a, a funny little bit, though, uh, while the Mahler twins were still constructing the machine for for Angstrom. Uh, to kill some time, Angstrom said that he took himself and all of his uh, alternate yeah. selves to this other dimension where all the men died. And it was totally a reference to Why the Last Man. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was that was pretty funny. It was uh, yeah. it was cheeky. Yeah. <laughs> And then the the way that the whole scene ends where the machine blows up and everybody, almost every single buddy, every almost every single person dies ex- except for one Mahler twin and the angstrom, the, the, the teleporting angstrom survives. But now the machine didn't, uh, I guess it wasn't able to complete its process properly. So yeah everybody's uh knowledge still went into this angstrom but he's horribly deformed now to the point where he's got all these brains uh growing through his body yeah it's pretty gross it's pretty gross and i do think part of me thinks that he might be a little mad also and and i I don't mean angry drove him uh insane yeah because because when he was in the machine and the experiment was going on. The Mahler twins were so basically there was an army of Mahler twins from alternate dimensions, and they were just beating the crap out of Invincible. And uh, Angstrom, he you know he's strapped to this device, and all these energies are being channeled into his body. But he he gets upset that the Mahler twins are beating up on invincible and, you know, he tries to stop this from happening. He, he gets doesn't up. want them to kill someone. Yeah. He, he tries to get up and tries to tell them, you know, Hey, I'm not going to let someone die as a result of this, but mm-hmm. because he gets up, it screws up the process and there's just this massive explosion. And then after the fact, once, you know, once the effect has already taken hold of his body uh the way that he recalls the incident was invincible broke in and there was a big fight and as a result of the fight i'm i ended up the way that i am you know yeah so yeah it's a total like misreading of the things that had just transpired 
Yeah, exactly. So you just kind of figure uh, this isn't the last that we've seen of him. Uh, at yeah. the end of the scene, he he's talking with the final surviving Mahler twin. And that Mahler twin is super messed up, too. He's like burnt, like half his body is all burnt up or something. Like he's he's half toast, man. Yeah. They're, they're talking and then Angstrom ends up creating a portal for himself so he can give himself medical attention. And that final Mahler twin is like, man, I'm all hurt. And you didn't even want to ask me if I needed help. What a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was a pretty funny bit of dialogue. The the Mahler twins are always pretty funny to see because they're always like, even in the earlier issues, they were always arguing about which one was the clone and which one was the original. (laughs) Yeah. Like they both look exactly the same, except one one of them has a nose ring, and then one like he he'll say that he was the original, and then the other guy will be like, "How? Why would you be the original? You have a nose ring. Why would the original give himself a nose ring?" <laughs> like, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> like their arguments are pretty funny, man. Yeah. Um. So we talked a little earlier about uh the storyline where. Where where we talked about Mark and his relationship with Amber, but one of the ongoing storylines from the first year is Mark and Adam Eve, uh, Adam Eve being this other superhero, mm-hmm. and the she's she's basically the first like other superhero that he teamed up with, and they developed this pretty close bond in that first year yeah. to the point where it's indicated that she has emotional feelings for for invincible and what what kind of emotional feelings um just straight lust just ball slapping lust <laughs> <laughs> just the sweatiest ball slappingest uh lustiest lust <laughs> Is that really what she felt for him? <laughs> uh, no, I meant to say love. She meant if she felt love for him. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, at one point, you know, as as is the soap opera of comic books, she comes in and she sees Mark with Amber, and at that point. You know, she knows that. Oh, uh, I'm, I, I'm probably not gonna end up with him, or you know, like I, this this person that she's developed this close relationship with, it, it's that's kind of where it stops, right? And mm-hmm. and and to be fair, it, like her story is one of bad timing because when they first meet, she's already with a guy, uh, another superhero. Who ends up cheating on her? Rexplode, right? He ended up cheating on her. He ends up cheating on her, and as a result, she... Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, she hates him. And she goes to... She turns to Mark, and when she gets there, she sees that Mark is... uh, You know... Amber. He's with Amber, and as a result, uh, whatever, whatever complicated feeling she feels, she's just... She she turns away from it, right? She 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 doesn't follow through on 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 it. They don't get any closer, but they're still 
very good friends. Yeah, and the the other funny thing is that Am, uh, Adam Eve ends up dating William, Mark's best friend. Yeah. So they they date for a while, and at, by the end of um or at some point in the middle of volumes four and five, uh, she ends up uh, breaking up with him. But yeah. for a while they were it was interest an interesting dynamic because of how mature she was and how immature William is. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's a total goofball, you know? And yeah. she's a superhero. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, she's been balancing all these crazy responsibilities for such a big chunk of her life. And William, all he wants is to for her to um, take him flying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he, he, yeah, he likes goofing around. But there's also... There, there's also something uh, kind of, I don't know, I guess I felt kind of disappointed for him after after she decided that she didn't want to be with him anymore. Why is that? He might be a goofball, but there wasn't anything, uh, I didn't think he was a him? bad dude or anything, you know? Yeah. Like he was just a normal young man, and he wasn't, he wasn't a, he wasn't a jerk or... Anything like that. He seems like one of those characters that acts like the goofball, but you know, he's there's still uh, a side of him, just like with anybody, I think, that is serious and you know cares about the people around him. Like he, he's definitely shown that he he genuinely cares about Mark. Yeah. And yeah. I think even even near the end of the, I think it was in yeah in issue twenty four, uh, there's a little scene uh, because they're roommates in college, when 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 uh, Mark is about to go off and do some invincible stuff, they have a, a conversation and it kind of feels like uh, William, I don't know there there's like starting to be like a simmering of some kind of Resentment? Maybe I don't know. Yeah, maybe resentment or just uh, just something unspoken where maybe they need to communicate to each other a little bit more clearly so that they can be on the same page. But there's like this unspoken stuff going on in, in under underneath the surface of their friendship that um, I guess it it makes it seem like a, a real relationship, you know, like with with a lot of people. You know, it's pretty normal where there are things that you don't say to your friends, even though you think them or you feel them. And there are times when not saying those things can, I don't know, just lead to festering emotions. Mm. Mm. So it, the, it's interesting to me to see the, the character drama at play also. Yeah. No, that's it's a good observation, and uh, it's yeah. I I remember the moment where she breaks up with him. It's it felt yeah. He he, it's he's an interesting character. You're right in that he's very human, and mm-hmm. he. You know, he he doesn't seem like he's a bad dude, and it's like you said, he it feels you can tell that he t- cares 
about Mark. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, there there are just things that are maybe limited to him because of his immaturity mm-hmm. that puts him in a position where he behaves in a way that that can be kind of stinging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Plus, I think the, the way that uh, Eve breaks up with him, it kind of felt like... She dumped him. Yeah, she just dumped him. You know, it, it was. Like, it didn't feel like it was respectful. It didn't feel like it was. Hey, we need to have a talk about this. Yeah, it was, it just, was more like she was. She was with him, and then she was like, "You know what? I'm bored of this. I'm tired of this. Yeah, I'm tired of you." <laughs> but to be fair, I did. I did. I do feel where she's coming from. Like, it. It felt like this dude was just kind of all kinds of goofy all the time and yeah. you know uh and it's it was just like a collection of a bunch of little things that accumulated over time yeah they uh, were a really it, strange pairing because they yeah it, it feels like they don't really have anything in common other than their love for mark yeah 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 like that that's that was probably the main thing keeping them together yeah um but adam eve's uh story goes on even from there where to the point where there's this one part of the in in the second year where she has a sit down with mark and after she breaks up with uh what's his name again will william he hates it when you call him will or bill oh, or right Billy. right right <laughs> <laughs> you're right i forgot that running gag but she has uh she tells him that she she basically has this epiphany where you know she didn't want to be with William and on in addition to that she the larger realization to her was that she didn't even want to be a superhero anymore cuz it sounds like she looked at all this all the superheroics as just there was futility in it you know and realistically in terms of like people that beat up other people there were there were guys like invincible around who were already there doing that job and at uh you know eve's power is well it's this was the first time i had gotten a concrete explanation of what her powers were uh unless i missed it in the earlier uh earlier issues but essentially she has the power to alter uh things on a molecular level and you know she she looks at her power and she realizes that she can do so much good in so many other ways uh that don't involve you know beating up muggers and uh (laughs) bank robbers or whatever she wants to go to uh parts of the world that are struggling with famine and you know uh environmental devastation and she wants to use her powers to like really make the quality of life better for people in in these parts of the in these parts of the world you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what what happened was that adam eve sat down and read john ostrander's firestorm <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that 
her immature boyfriend just did one stupid thing that broke the camel's back and just, and she decided that that was it. She just read a really good comic. <laughs> <laughs> yep, because John Ostrander's Firestorm had a had a big plot that was pretty much the same thing. I mean, his Adam Eve's powers are basically Firestorm's powers, molecular rearrangement. Yeah. So she can change they can change the elements um and there was a story that John Ostrander did back in the 80s when he was writing Firestorm the DC Comics character where Firestorm decided, you know, for all his vaunted might, what was really the point of just beating up uh you know, getting into slugfest with with bad guys. So he he would take himself to places of the world that had that were suffering from famine and and cause a garden to grow, you know? So people would have food to eat and things like that. So pretty similar to what Adam Eve is doing. And and that's for some reason, that's exactly the comic that I thought of when, when I uh read about what Adam Eve was gonna do. Well interesting. Yeah, you should check out that eighties Firestorm man. That's some good stuff. Yeah, it's something that uh, you know, we've talked about a lot, and every time you've uh, mentioned it, I've always wanted to check it out, but it's not something that's readily available because DC Comics is run by idiots. Yeah. But <laughs> Maybe, maybe but, you got to sign up for a DC Universe Infinite or whatever it's called. Uh, No, I don't really feel like paying a monthly subscription. Uh, I mean... If they you ever... could always borrow my issues, man. I still have my issues. Yeah. I, like, it's totally something I intend to hit you up for. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is Comixology is probably going to have them. If they ever do, like, a massive sale where I can get those cheap enough, I might just buy them off Comixology. Or, or even better, if they ever did, like, an omnibus in a hardcover, I would just straight up buy that. Dude, that would be sweet, but it seems yeah. so unlikely. Yeah, I mean... It's like I'd, you said, I'd man, DC's get... run by idiots. Yeah. I would love to get that and his Spectre comics as, you know, in, in an omnibus form, but... Oh, yeah, we need his Spectre, man. They don't listen to me. I mean, who am I except a paying customer? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> well, you're not buying uh, the Batman Who Laughs or Heavy Death Metal or whatever it is. Heavy death metal? <laughs> Is that what it's called? Heavy no, metal? I'm death just, metal? <laughs> I'm just making up the most ridiculous uh, title I can. Drew, I want you to know there's nothing that you could make up that is any more ridiculous than anything that they've actually already <laughs> made. <laughs> and I'm including their children. <laughs> I think their children are ridiculous is what I'm saying. <laughs> Dude, we didn't even talk about the Guardians of the Globe. Yeah, so in the previous issue, um, Omni-Man, or in the previous year, Omni-Man kills the premier superhero team. So in this following year, we followed that up with the creation of the new team, and essentially, what are their growing pains? But there's a lot of uh, 
I'm going to just call it sinister undertones. I don't know if that's that's my reading of it if mm-hmm. or if if you feel that way too. Uh it it definitely makes me question what's going on like especially robot. Yeah. Like I I like he definitely gives off a vibe where there's something he's not telling everybody else, you know? Yeah. So so what ends up happening is the new team is made up of members of the teen team. Uh, that's what they're called, right? The teen yeah. team? Yeah. Yeah, it was so, Robot, uh, Rexplode, Duplicate. Duplicate, yeah. And a couple of other members. But, so, you know, if, if you're looking for, uh, you know, something relative to compare it to, it'd be like if the Justice League of America was wiped out and the Teen Titans were brought in to be this new, to be their replacement, you know, it's, it's a pretty big leap, but at the same time, they still need a premier superhero team to handle, uh, the threats that are coming to their planet. And the government, the government is not happy with the performance of this new team of the guardians of the globe and as a result you can tell that there's uh there's a what's the word fraction a fracture there's a fracture in confidence between the government and uh yeah. the still ain't too pleased with uh robot's leadership is basically what yeah. it boils down to and he eventually yeah. demotes robot and makes the immortal the leader yeah and Cecil is the government handler uh, for the government organization. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's the guy that gives Mark orders also. Yeah. And although Robot is a robot, there are there are ways that, uh, you know, Ryan Otley draws uh, his response to Cecil's, uh, I, I can only call them put-downs, but uh, the way that, the panels are drawn out. It feels like this emotionless robot is feeling is, some emotion. Yeah, exactly. It feels like there's a tension there. It feels like he's responding, you know? Well, and, as long as it's not ball slapping lust, it's pretty understandable. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't help that as the series progresses in this second year, uh, you'll you'll notice that robot goes out of his way to do certain things and take on certain projects that he he keeps pretty secretive from everybody else. So we as the reader we know that something's going on with robot, and the implication is that it's in response to what uh Cecil has been doing to undermine him as the leader of the uh Guardians of the Globe and yeah we we don't ever get any resolution to this in the second year but it's definitely a building of tension for the team yeah yeah definitely a lot of build up like one of the interesting things about the team to me or one of the one of the more interesting characters to me is Monster Girl She's a pretty fascinating concept. She's a, I think she said she was a 29 year old woman. 
Yeah. Uh, that's chronologically speaking, but she was cursed with this power where she turns into a, a monster, uh, a super strong monster, basically like the Hulk, except when she turns into the monster, uh, every time she activates that power, her normal self de-ages. So she keeps on getting younger and younger. So even yeah. though she's a 29-year-old woman, she looks like a young teenage girl. Well, I, I okay, I feel like this needs a little more clarification. So mm-hmm. um, the thing about her power is she was cursed essentially by a, I'm going to say a gypsy uh, or like a witch. Let's say a witch, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like how you corrected yourself. <laughs> so so the thing is, the curse causes her to de-age anyways, but using her power accelerates that de-aging process. So, or or am I remembering that wrong? Um, I don't think that she'll naturally de-age. I think it is just... When she uses her power, she gets younger. So the more she uses her power, the more she'll get younger. Uh, well, we might have to check on that. Because I'm pretty sure in the Secret Origin thing, they they said that she de-ages anyways. Oh, you sure? Uh, let me look for it. I'm, I am I have it up right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. The the oh. impression I got is that she gets the more she uses her power, the more powerful the monster becomes, and the younger she would become. Wait a minute. Uh. So that's that's the there's a direct correlation. Oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I yeah okay. Okay yeah so I guess it's directly tied to her power. Or the usage of her power. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a pretty fascinating concept. Yeah. And really, the only reason that she's de-aging at this point is she doesn't have the self-control not to use her power. I mean, at the same time, she does use it for a good reason, but I also got the impression that she has let's call it a devil may care attitude so uh at certain points up to a certain point it just became she just didn't care anymore about it because she just figured it was gonna happen anyways Mm -hmm. you know yeah there's something just tragic about that there is i mean she's doing it to herself but at the same time, she's still a hero. She's still doing it for good, you know. Yeah. She, so it it's complicated, right? <laughs> it is, yeah. She could have easily decided that she wasn't ever gonna use her power, or she would. She could do something where she would completely uh, minimize the usage of her power, but instead. She decided to join a super team where obviously that would force her to use her powers all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the worst case scenario is at some point 
she may de-age so much that she'll, you know, age out of existence, you know? Yeah, or she could just uh, de-age to a point where she's so young that, uh, you know, the mental capacity is going to be that of an infant or something, or yeah. a toddler, or just some kind of baby that, when if that happens, will will she still be able to transform into a monster? Like, let's say she turns into a a baby. Will robot take her on the mission and just throw a baby at the bad guy and hope <laughs> the baby transforms into a monster? <laughs> I'd read that comic. <laughs> you just want to see somebody throw a baby at somebody else. That's my ideal weapon of choice. <laughs> Baby ninchucks. <laughs> Dude, that, that reminds me of that one issue of The Punisher where the guy that was trying to hide from The Punisher decided to strap a bunch of babies to his body, reasoning that The Punisher wouldn't shoot him if he had babies as body armor. <laughs> <laughs> that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty absurd. <laughs> he just... Wrapped up his whole body in babies. <laughs> I that's, think he was at a nursery or something. That's crazy. <laughs> I, I assume that Garth Ennis wrote that and that he found a way to uh, make it work. <laughs> you know, I don't think it was Garth Ennis. I forget who wrote that comic. Really? I'll, oh. I'll, I'll, I'll have to look into it, man, and get back to you. There's no way I can find it right now. Okay. Cause that's a pretty out there idea, but okay, okay. <laughs> you'll you'll have to you'll have to uh I'll have to follow up with you. Yep. Anything else uh, you wanted to say about Invincible though? Uh, no. I I felt like you know we covered all of the all of the different uh plot lines, major plot lines that. Uh, were seeded throughout this second year. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, next month when we do our year three read-through of Invincible, um, you know, whether any of those plot lines get resolved or whether Robert Kirkman just continues to build on top of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. There's a great combination of really compelling narrative threads as well as really compelling character drama because i i do want to see uh what happens with mark's mother as well with with uh debbie her name's debbie right i forget yeah i want to see how mark's mom uh gets better because like she's just in a dark place in, in all these issues man like just reading uh, all of her scenes, man, it it just kind of makes you feel sorry for her and want to hug her. Yeah. She's just endured the this crazy situation where her whole life basically has been a lie, and she's yeah. slowly trying to put the pieces back together and yeah. get accustomed to her new this situation. new reality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's it's not easy, but but she's she makes some baby steps here and there and you know yeah. she's still engaging with the world trying to yeah uh get her real estate license so she can do yeah, something yeah exactly 
There's yeah. definitely a light on the horizon. And exactly. It's it's uh, it feels very real in the sense that there's a process taking place, a healing process, right? Yeah. And there are stumbles along the way. Like there's there's that one moment where um, Mark is talking to. I forgot the guy's name, but he he's the guy the that makes Taylor? costumes. The tailor, yeah. right? Dude, I think and in the cartoon, I think Mark Hamill is gonna play that dude. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So, in in the comic, um, Mark is talking to the tailor, and the tailor is one of the few people that she confides in uh, after everything that's happened. And you know, this guy is talking to Mark, and Mark is off at college at this point. And the tailor is basically saying, telling him to go visit his mom because he hasn't been back in like a month or something like that. And he's saying that, you know, I I get it. You're in college and you've moved out and you're living your life right now. But it hurts her to know that you can pop. It, It literally would only take you a second to fly over to see her. Yeah. He's got super so, speed. Yeah, so it hurts even more to know that you're not that you haven't seen her in a month, you know? Yeah. So that that was a very like human moment. <laughs> yeah, it totally was, man. Yeah. Another really human moment was uh I think it was right before Mark went for college went to college, but he was uh just about to leave the house and as he's throwing away some trash, he, he looks in the garbage can and he sees all these empty bottles of booze. Yeah. And he just looks at his mom and he's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. She's just drinking so much. Yeah. It's, it's a, a humanizing moment that, that shows you that he really does care about his mom. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I'm looking forward to, uh, the next set of issues man like after i finished this uh my second hardcover i really i had to use self-control not to just immediately dive (laughs) into the next one you know because i want to find out what happens next right yeah i i i get the same feeling man and uh i'm i'm looking forward to next month when we get our chance to go over uh year three you know yeah year three and the invincible comic the life of marcus sebastian grayson (laughs) (laughs) man that's pretty funny uh did you want to talk about the new trailer that dropped for the amazon cartoon oh yeah yeah so earlier this week or i guess by the time you listen to this maybe it's been like at least a, a week but a few days ago the the trailer for uh, there's a new trailer for the cartoon that dropped in. It looks nice, man. Like we've already seen uh, some clips from uh, that they put out, I think a month or two ago. But this new trailer uh, really s- kind of gives you a good sense of of the series, and it it really does look like the comic. I thought uh, there were some scenes of the action and the violence that looked just like the comic. Uh, and from what I understand, or from what I am guessing, based on some of the things I've read uh, with interviews with Kirkman, I'm guessing that these, I think it's the first season's eight or ten-ish episodes. I think it's eight, but I'm guessing that the these that this first season is probably going to adapt the first year of stories. 
So I'm guessing it's going to end with the Omni-Man turn, and that's going to be like the first season surprise ending for the first season. You know, like the thing that, yeah. like for all the people that that haven't read Invincible, like that's probably going to be the thing that will make people go, "Whoa, he's he's actually the villain." You know, like he's, and that, that's going to make them want to. Yeah, that's probably season. the the hook. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well. If any, if if you guys watch the show and you you find it super compelling, then you know our podcast, uh, this this series that we're doing, is the perfect way to get your in before the future seasons come out. Um, unless you don't want it spoiled, but come on, <laughs> you gotta read it. <laughs> yeah, you gotta read good it. Not to read. Yeah, man. If, if anything, reading it first will 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 set you up to watch the show. So yeah, you know, it's 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 a good opportunity here. So you can listen to us, read the comic, and then watch the show. Exactly. <laughs> It'll just... Oh, there there was one thing I I wanted to ask you. I forgot to ask you, Albert. Yeah, sure. Do you think it's strange how Invincible, uh, the the comic book series? is it, it's capable of like pretty gory violence but it they completely shy away from any sexual content uh i uh so i i did notice in this uh in this second year that they play coy a little bit in that You okay? So one, it's revealed that Mark and Amber both have never had, uh, let's call it relations before. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, they. Is that what it's called? That's what I'm gonna call it, cause okay, uh, okay, yeah. So you know, they they there there's certainly no ball slapping there. And even even in the few uh, areas or areas of the story where there's um, where there's implied you know sex going on, there there's always something coy that happens that jumps away from it. So you know in the Alan the alien story, um, he comes back to his girlfriend's place and. You know they they get kind of playful with it. The the Robert Kirkman gets playful with it because, you know, he doesn't show them in the throes of passion. He just shows a door. He literally just shows a door with captions, uh, caption narratives on it saying that we're just gonna jump away from this moment because we're not gonna show it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I guess I don't think it's weird because uh I don't know, this is America, man. Like we don't we're I guess we're more okay with certain kinds of violence than we are with sex. Yeah. 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 That's true. That's true. Uh like I, I I don't know. And 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 even in terms of violence, I, I feel like in recent years, uh some of that has has changed like we won't show people being eviscerated with well okay 
I don't think we're super comfortable with showing people getting, uh, you know, messed up with guns or anything too much. But apparently you can show someone punching through someone else's guts and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like my, my hypothesis is that you can share this with a kid because realistically speaking, a kid won't be able to rip off another person's arm. Uh huh. That's so, true. So, so as long as it's not something that they can mimic, then that should be fine. I mean, that's, that's the only hypothesis that I could possibly give. So are you saying that you would give invincible to a kid? Probably not. Okay. I, well, I give it to a twelve-year-old, I guess. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I wouldn't give it to, like, a five or six-year-old. Yeah, certainly not. Yeah. I don't even really notice any real swearing in this comic either. Huh. Like, I don't think they say anything harsher than the D word or anything like that. But it is interesting to me that. They're What's the D word? Damn. Damn. Oh, okay. Like they don't they don't say damn. They don't say dick. Uh, <laughs> they, <laughs> I mean, damn dick. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then they they also um yeah like they don't they definitely don't say the F word or anything. Um, I don't remember them saying the F word, but it is interesting to me that. They have. It's like there are certain things that they they won't say or show, but but uh, you know people's guts getting splattered is perfectly acceptable. Yeah, <laughs> that that kind of amuses me. Yeah, yeah. Like there's I don't know, there's man. something more acceptable about violence, about cartoony violence, than there is about uh, you know vulgar profanity or displaying. Uh, displaying a uh, sexual content explicitly yeah. i i don't know what the what the official guidelines or rule books for uh acceptability is in terms of a society so it it is pretty weird yeah yeah and it, it's obviously uh kirkman's choice what what to depict and what not to depict too because because uh you know it's it's an image book it's his book it's not like he has to a abide by marvel or dc's uh rules for self-censorship or anything like that yeah yeah i mean walking dead had boobs in it did it yeah man like zombie boobs or like regular boobs (laughs) (laughs) no i'm I'm serious that is a funny question Uh, like you know it's it's Huh. It, it's something that if I ever got a chance to talk to Robert Kirkman about it, that, that'd be an interesting conversation to have what to see what his uh, personal take on uh, sex and comics is. Yeah. Yeah. Because in Walking Dead, you, you see them having sex. I mean, it's not like they're not drawing genitalia or anything, but it's not like they're just behind a door and then the scene moves on either, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, 
Walking Dead is a little different in that it's a more raw comic. Uh, it's certainly more mature than Invincible. Huh. That, yeah, that, that is strange. Because there is definitely gore in Invincible, but there's also a lot of gore in The Walking Dead. So yeah. I don't know why... Yeah, I couldn't say why... Why? Huh. I wonder if Kirkman intended for Invincible to be for younger readers. Maybe. Well, yeah. I guess it is a superhero comic, so he has to widen its appeal beyond uh, adults. Yeah. Can you imagine uh, if you were... A parent buying this comic for your kids from starting with issue one, and then all of a sudden you get to that one issue where where Omni Man, uh, you know, kills the Guardians of the Globe, and he's like cutting them in half where their intestines <laughs> are spilled on the floor and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, so like up to that point, it was totally fine for kids, I think. Yeah. Well, it's. At that point, it might be... Well, I guess that is a pretty sudden thing. I was going to say, it might be like... Have you ever heard of like a frog in a boiling pot? Uh, no, what's that? It's that theory where like, if you put a frog in a boiling pot uh, and you turn the heat up gradually over time, the frog doesn't realize it's being cooked alive. <laughs> so... Um, and, you know, this isn't me advocating for, like, cruelty towards frogs or whatever, but uh, but as an analogy, the idea is that uh, if you immerse someone in an environment and gradually intensify the uh, its surroundings, by the time you get to a certain elevated level, they won't realize that this dramatic shift has occurred. But then at the same time, in in Invincible, it's not like he's slow. Well, I don't know. Maybe he does slowly elevate the violence until you get to the point where... Because if I had to be perfectly honest, I didn't, I didn't even think the, the killing of the Guardians of the Globe was that bad. It wasn't until this issue where Alan the Alien was just messed up where his eye pops out where i was like oh that didn't seem right <laughs> yeah that's true that's true yeah, like that's i true. i thought that was a different level of violence but um on the other hand both i think both you and i are kind of desensitized to violence as well that's true we're we're pretty dead on the inside yeah <laughs> <laughs> Can't argue with that. <laughs> oh man. Yep. Well, that was fun. That was fun yeah. talking about it, man. For sure. And uh, you know, if uh I guess it's uh time to wrap it up. Yeah. Thanks okay. for listening everybody. This is Between the Gutters signing off. Peace out. Yeah. All right. Bye guys. <laughs>